wings, trying to get the sweep. Three seconds left into the zone to the top numbers of the Stanley Cup. McCarty up over the line. McCarty got by his man. He scores! What a play there McCarty made. Now we got a fight. Got it. Oh, and who's he involved with? Looks like that's John Gruden. That's the first time I've ever seen Fedek in a fight. Ten seconds away from successfully defending the Stanley Cup, the Detroit Red Wings. Their bench up. Osgood with his arms up over his head coming out. The Detroit Red Wings have won the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row. Shot in on the new goaltender, Eddie Mio, in goal. Look at that old school mask. And that's something. He's a brave man. Playback catch it down. He's in. She scores. Kalima. Kosar Probert, though, that's the main one here. These are good friends. You rarely ever see Kosar and Probert go at it. Most of the former Red Wings. the Detroit Red Wings, their offensive catalyst, number 25, welcome left winger John O'Grodnick. Got it in front, the score! Jason Bowley, the shot heard round the world! Asman moving, blue line, chance, stop! And welcome to the Red Wing Alumni Association podcast. I am your host, Newman. Sitting in with me today is Arthur J. Regner, back in the big boy chair. Art, how are you? I'm doing well, Newman. Thank you. Uh, it's always great to be here. Sorry I couldn't make the last couple, but those Red Wings, they took up too much of my time, They Newman. did take up a lot of the time. Just to remind everybody, we are live on Podcast Detroit. You can find us on SoundCloud, and you can also download the episodes on iTunes. Would like to remind you, if you'd like to follow along, Follow along on Twitter. We are at Red Wing Alumni on Facebook, the Red Wing Alumni Association, and we are now on Instagram, Detroit Red Wing Alumni. Whoa. With that, we're going to get right to the good stuff. We've got with us today the editor of the Atlantic Detroit, the Athletic, I'm sorry, Detroit. Uh, you know what? I, I call it the Atlantic, too, because I subscribed to that magazine for many years, but it is the Athletic. He is the big wig. He That's, is the big wig. I, yeah. I love that term, so I'm going to say... Craig Custis is the big wig of the Athletic Detroit. So with that, Craig, welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> guys. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny. One of these days, because, you know, we occasionally at the Athletic, we get the Atlantic thing. My goal is someday is some writer for the Atlantic is going to get called, you know, so-and-so from the Athletic. That's Someday, that's, that's my hope that that happens. Well, that would be a very highbrow writer. But it, but I have to admit, the <laughs> Athletic is a very highbrow publication as far as sports journalism goes. But it doesn't have well, the cartoons. Try, right? <laughs> it doesn't have the cartoons no. like the Atlantic Monthly does. Right, right. The Atlantic, though, is a... And I think Craig would agree. I mean, not that we want to talk about the Atlantic, but that's a pretty highbrow thing. I mean, if, if, if you're in the Atlantic, you're... Uh, let's put it this way you have to be a pretty intellectual person to really get in and delve into the atlantic unlike the athletic which is for everybody which is for everybody so craig we've got like three things we definitely want to talk to you about so it's really up okay. to you obviously with the success of beyond the bench which is your book that is out right now you know you taking over the editorial 
duties with the Athletic Detroit. And obviously, you had some time at ESPN covering hockey. So of those three, um, I'm assuming right now, Beyond the Bench, your book has really got you fired up more than anything. Well, yeah. I mean, look, they're all. It's been kind of a crazy year for me personally. In 2017, we're sending out our Christmas cards, like listing the different changes in our family. It's been a crazy year, but certainly um, around the holidays, when you know, there's been a lot of talk about the book behind the because, you know, it, you know, people are buying it. I'm doing book signings. It's been a little bit chaotic on that front, and and really, I, I, it's just been exciting because the reception has been so good. It, a large part because I think people are fascinated by the concept, which was I sat down with ten NHL coaches and watched game film with them, and wrote a book about it. And it was, you know, it was kind of the best of the best in the league. And Mike Babcock and Joel Quenville and Claude Julian, and and so it's been. It's ended up being, you know, a, a talker a bit because these guys were so great in these conversations. How did you get some of these coaches to actually open up? I know Babcock is not notorious, notoriously known for being a social gadfly or being quite vociferous with members of the media. How did that process work for you? Yeah, I think being in Detroit helped the cause a little bit and in, in, in along those lines because this, you know, this book was a two and a half year process that goes back to before Mike had left for Toronto. So he was actually the first coach I approached. And I remember at Julius Arena, you know, after practice one day, I'm like, Hey, you know, do you have a second to chat? And we went into his coach's office and I was, I basically told him, I'm like, here's what I'm kind of thinking. And I, I didn't really have a real clear cut concept. It wasn't as clear cut as it ended up being. And you know how Mike is like, he was like, he got right down to business. He was like, here's what you got to do here. You know, here's the coaches you need to target. And he starts writing down names on a sheet of paper and, and he's like, come back and talk to me when you have a better plan. You know, and it was actually really good advice. And basically, it, that was the beginning of the outline. And I, I did a little bit more research, um, formalized a better outline of who I wanted to target and what I wanted to look like. Came back to Mike and I said, look, here we are. And, are, you know, would you be willing to do it if I can pull this off? And he said, sure, I'll do that. And I think having Mike on board right off the hop was, was helpful in then going to other coaches because you can, you know, Mike's maybe the most well-respected coach in the game right now. So when you can then go to another coach and say, yeah, you know, kind of casually throw it out there that Mike Babcock will do it. And, you know, I've got to be the other line guys lined up. I think that helped the cause. And he was the Red Wings coach at the time. Well, so yeah, that's where it got a bit tricky. So he was the Red Wings coach when he agreed to do it. And so then, you know, you go, you go through the process of getting a publisher and you have to write a sample chapter and go, there's kind of a, not to get too inside baseball on you guys, but <laughs> there's all these things you have to go through. So by the time I was actually ready to sit down with him and talk to him and watch, we had picked the Olympic, the 2010 Olympic gold medal game to watch with him. He was a, he was the coach of the, the Maple Leafs. And so now I'm like, a little bit nervous. I'm like, boy, does he even remember saying he would do this? And and I remember kind of holding my breath when I sent him a text and I'm like, Hey Mike, you know, uh, it's me again. And, and you know, he got right back and said, yep, let's do this. And it was great. Is there one underlying trait that each of these coaches have that you notice? And you said, wow, you know, even though they're different and they might have different coaching styles, when you sat down and they broke down film, there was something that just kept reoccurring with each and every one of them. Yeah, I would say to me, it was, it wasn't a trait so much. It was an experience. And for me, it was when I really looked at it, every single one of these coaches somewhere along the line in their career 
basically took a huge risk to pursue coaching and almost to a man where, where you know, there was story after story where they had some other kind of safe job lined up. And, you know, Bob Harley's one of the coaches. He famously, he worked at the windshield factory. Uh, you know, Mike Babcock had a business consulting job offer. Joel Quenville, you know, he was working in finance, you know, in the off season as a player, he could have gone into, you know, selling stocks. And each one of these guys had, had these kind of comfortable jobs lined up. Ken Hitchcock worked in a sporting goods store that, I think he was convinced he'd never leave. And, <laughs> and then at some point they were just like, you know what, I'm doing this and I'm going to go take that $15,000 a year job in the you know East coast league or whatever it was for each one of right. these guys. And, and they just took this plunge and, and I, you know, as kind of just as outsider, I found that to be motivating where you're like, okay, if you really want to do something like lift this down the cup somewhere along the way, there's going to be this huge risk you take. Do you, uh, how much did more did you learn about hockey? Because yeah, obviously you've covered the sport a long time. Uh, yeah, I, I think I know a lot about the game. But when you sit down with these hockey minds, did you walk away, uh, you know, just full of much more knowledge? Uh, to me, and maybe this is it was my own like guidance or where I was put, you know, guiding the conversation. But we ended up talking a lot about um, leadership and basically motivational factors mm-hmm. to. to because I find it fascinating when you have a room full of guys and getting them all on the same page. And, and so it ended up being, and it wasn't the intention. Like I was happy to go wherever it went. Like it ended up being way less about X's and O's and why I had this guy on the power play in this game, in this moment, even though there is some of that, um, ultimately it it was more about how we got this group of, of players to this point in time or how I got there as a coach. And, And really it was up to each coach to kind of, determine where those conversations went. But I found some of that stuff to be really fascinating. You know, one of the things we were talking about last week, Craig, I had Darren McCarty in studio with me, and he was talking about Scotty Bowman and how he was just a psychological master when it came to being a hockey coach. He said it wasn't about the X and the O's. And Sean Belegian, who was sitting in also, was talking about Nielsen and how he was captain video back in the day. But that leads the question to Joel Quenville for me, Um, not growing up around hockey, but understanding Joel Quenville as a person that I've met him. But what did you find for him as a hockey coach? Is it more X's and O's for him or is he more psychological with his players? Uh, So two things stood out with Joel Quenville. One was, I think what Joel has done really well with the Chicago Blackhawks is he's, he's been able to coach great players. And on the surface, that seems like it's really easy. Like, great. Give me Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and Marion Hosa, and I'll go out and win a bunch of cups. But we've seen it time and time again, where, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins went, you know, whatever it was, a long stretch with Crosby and Malkin and Fleury and Latang without winning anything. And with Joel Quendell, what I found in talking to players around Joel and talking to him is he, he, he's really good at uniting his team and getting and finding ways for everybody on that team to feel like they have a part in it. Um, one of the things a lot of guys would tell when I, I would, cause there was a lot of reporting that went around each coach. And I talked to a lot of players that Joel coached with the St. Louis blues and they would tell these great stories about, you know, back when you had bonuses in your contract, Joel at, towards the end of the year would pass around a sheet of paper and he wanted to know what everybody's player bonus was. And if anybody was close to hitting them, and then he would spend, you know, if, if it was fine and over the course of the game, he would try to find a way to get those guys a bonus. And uh, oh, I forgot who it was, but a player had a nice time bonus. And he said that last game of the year, 
he played him so much. He could barely, you know, the guy would come back to the bench and Joel was saying, get back out there. And he was trying to get him, you know, he was just off his ice time bonus. And by the end of the game, this guy who was a fourth liner had played 20 minutes and had gotten his ice time bonus by, you know, two seconds. And that those little yeah. things, I mean, players that endears a coach to players so much. And so he's different. Like you mentioned Scotty Bowman, like that's, it's a different kind of motivator than Scotty Bowman. But at the end of the day, these Blackhawks are doing anything for Joel Quenville. Well, and that leads to the other question. We talked about Babcock, and now we've talked about Quenville. Did they talk at all, either off book or in book, about losing the voice in the locker room where they know it's time for them to move on to another organization? No, not not really. Um, you know, and maybe that's because we're watching, you know, the game in front of us is such this, you know, huge moment where everything's going well. I would say the closest those conversations came was Ken Hitchcock, um, who, you know, we're watching this old, it basically felt like it was a 50 year old video of the Dallas stars <laughs> playing the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, and, and, you know, and, and Hitch was talking about, you know, Ken Hitchcock has a reputation of grading on his players and wearing them down. And he, one of the things that I thought was most interesting about what Ken Hitchcock said was that he felt like as a coach, when you can turn it over completely to the players and you're not, you know, on him on a day-to-day basis, that's when you've won as a coach. And he felt like that only happened a couple of times in his career. And one was a Flyers team he coached that he loved. Another was the Stars that won the Stanley Cup. And another was a Blues team a couple of years ago that went to the Western Conference final. But he said during that Stars Cup run, there was a point where Bob Gainey came up, went up to him and he said, you know, this was kind of in the season leading to it. He said, you know, Hitch, take some time away from the players. You're really, you know, you're all over them. It's a bit much. And he's like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll sit in the stands and I'll watch practice. And Bob Ganey was like, no, you don't understand. Like, go take a walk. Like, we, we don't want you anywhere near the players. And, and I think these guys realize over the grind of a long season or a, a long tenure, you can wear guys down. And it's, it's valuable. And Ken Hitchcock was great about it. It's valuable to have people around you that let you know that and when it's time to create some space. So just to touch on the book, to finish the book up, how many printings uh, are you sold out completely now? What are, it's in where its are you tenth at? printing, right? Uh, it's... Oh no, there's. I mean, they. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Triumph is the publisher. They've got lots. of actually just we just hit our second printing, so it's been great. Beautiful. The first one sold out, and uh, you can get it now. Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon. I think is having having it now. Um, it's wherever books are stored. Sold, you should be able to get it. Uh, you know, I, Craig, I, I wanted to ask you a question about Babs here, but I, I've got a story when you related about player evaluation. The Red Wings many years ago under Scotty, uh, they decided to go to a player evaluation thing after each game where each player had to give themselves a number from one to five and that, you know, one, you were excellent and five, you really needed to improve. And almost to a man, they always rated themselves with a th- three, you know, every player except, <laughs> right. e- except one. Sergei Fedorov consistently rated himself a two and on quite a few occasions rated himself a one. So really, yes. So once they saw that, they decided that maybe we'd do away with the evaluation system because, you know, that's really funny. Yeah. You know, so they were all three when you said about players and evaluation, but you know, Babs had a reputation here almost from day one of the veteran players really not enjoying his brand of coaching his brand of Mm -hmm. motivation his brand of calling people out in front of teammates which did not go over well uh how do you why is he so successful do you think or 
was that individual cases. I mean, Henrik Zetterberg said when Babs left for, you know, for Toronto said, yeah, it was time. <laughs> you know, it was time for him yeah, to go. Right, you, right. Know, you know what I mean? So I'm just kind of curious. And look, I like Mike a lot. He's treated me very, very well. Uh, anything I've ever asked him to do, he's done. I, I, I really do enjoy his company. He's an engaging personality. Yet, you know, he's one of those coaches that, yeah, you know, some. So I'm, I'm kind of curious where you say you talk. You're about not motivation. asking him to talk bad about Mike. Babcock, no, I'm not asking him to talk bad. But I mean, what, what, how did, how does he motivate? I guess is it ice time or? Well, no, he pushes guys, and he, and it's not just his players. Like his assistant coaches, he's pushing, and he wants them every single day to to come into the office with some sort of new idea that's progressive and can get them thinking and stay ahead of the curve. And at one point he's showing me, I'm at his house in his summer home and like, I want to say it was Brighton on, a, on the water. And he pulls out his phone and he's like, here's some texts. And it's, you know, this group text among his assistant coaches that he started at five in the morning or something crazy the previous day. And this is in the middle of the summertime. And so, you know, how is he so successful? It's because he's, he's just relentless in that pursuit to get better. And he's relentless in, in the, pushing the people around him to get better. And so does that grade on players? Or if you're a veteran, a guy um, that maybe feels like you don't need to hear that every single day, then yeah, you're probably not crazy about playing for him. And you know, the one thing I've noticed, and this is not the case with Henry Zetterberg at all. So I want to put that caveat out there, but right. a lot of times the veteran guys that don't like him are the veterans who aren't playing for him. Right. That, right, that right. you know, he'll, he'll bench him. And so then there's a lot of griping. And then you kind of, then when you have the, uh, the benefit of time, you go, Oh, you know what? At that time, you know, that guy was probably at the end of the line. Right. And, and Mike probably was doing the smart thing there. And so um, I just think that, you know, would I want to work for Mike? I probably would at some point in my career, like you or play for Mike, you might want that two year, two or three year window because he's going to get the best out of you but you're probably at the end of it exhausted and maybe you can't do it for, you know, a decade. Well, you know, leading into that, talking about Zetterberg, you know, you wrote the brilliant article, the article, it's, it's gotten a lot of love out there in the, uh, the worldwide webs, the interwebs, the, the, uh, the interwebs on the athletic Detroit about Henrik Zetterberg. So that's drawn more attention. I'd like for you, Craig, tell us a little bit, about the athletic Detroit, what the motivation was, and really, mm-hmm. you know, how can people sign up for this? Do they go? You know, obviously it's a paywall, and I'm sure there's some blowback yeah. on that. But you know what? You pay for what you get, especially with journalism nowadays. So tell me a little bit about the athletic, how you got involved, and what you see your vision for the athletic Detroit. Yeah, so the athletic is – it's. You know, it's a subscription-based sports media company, and with the, our thought is that if we write enough good sports content that goes a little bit deeper or takes a different angle than than kind of the traditional coverage, that you know the diehard sports fans will will pay for it. And overwhelmingly, that's been the case. And and so that Henrik Zetterberg story is a good example. I mean, it's you know. Uh, it's the middle of the season and there's a lot of game stories and notes and here's what happened at practice. And, you know, here we had 3000 words, uh, hopefully telling stories about Henrik Zetterberg that, that Red Wings fans hadn't heard before. And, and so like that, that to me is an example of what we're trying to do. And, and, you know, kind of realizing that we're not going to be able to kind of make a name for ourselves in the space of the sports media, if we're doing the same thing everyone else is doing, which is, you know, covering, 
you know, writing about the game, writing about what just happened in practice. And it, it, we really have to try to analyze things differently. And so sometimes that comes in the form of a really long takeout on a player on the team in the Zetterberg, you know, or sometimes that comes in the form of uh, some analytics or game film breakdown. We've got a guy named Topher Scott who's great. He's a, he's a former uh, Cornell captain on the hockey team, assistant coach formerly of the, at Cornell, really smart guy. And so every few games, he's, he's breaking down films of Red Wings trends and tendencies and doing that film breakdown for us. Um, you know, I'm writing something. I just When you guys called, I was right, right in the middle of looking at every single draft pick that Tyler Wright's ever made in his four years with the Red Wings, comparing it to every other team in the league. So I've got an Excel spreadsheet out, and I'm breaking down all this data, talking to Tyler, talking to everybody he worked with in Columbus, really trying to, to kind of paint a picture of how he's done in four years. And and that's, you know, that's a little bit different than what, what's going to you know be produced elsewhere tomorrow for, uh, on the Red Wings. And, and so that's, that's our pitch to people. Like, look, we're, we're writing stories that are a little bit different. And it, yes, it's not for everybody. Not everybody is willing to pay four bucks a month or whatever it is for, for sports content. And we get that. But there's, thankfully, there's been lots and lots of people who are willing to do it. I talked to Tyler Wright for the Red Wing podcast, the Red and White Authority, uh, the, the day of the Saturday of the draft where he broke down all 11 picks. And then I talked to him after development camp was, or not development camp, but uh, uh, the prospects tournament was over. And I, I, I'm kind of curious because I, I know uh, Tyler's a great guy. Uh, the one player that he always goes back to, and I'm curious if he did it with you, is Boone Jenner. Did he talk a lot about Boone <laughs> Jenner? Boone Jenner. <laughs> no, Boone didn't come up. Now, you know, one of the picks that I do get into, to his credit, was um, Josh Anderson, who's having a great year for Columbus. And that, you know, and, and this was kind of confirmed elsewhere. That was that was somebody that Tyler pushed hard for. And, and uh, fourth-round pick, and I'm forgetting what year it was right now, but fourth-round pick for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And to me, that, like, that's a great example. That was 2012. That's a great example of what he needs to do with the Red Wings. Like, if they're going to have any success, and if they refuse to, you know, do a kind of a proper teardown and go to the top of the draft, then the Red Wings are going to need him to find those Josh Andersons in, in round four. And, and so basically it's, we're, we're working on an analysis on the progress so far on that front. Craig, let me ask you this, you know, you're a writer on the site, you've got this uh, subscription based site. Now we know in the media, a lot of times if it bleeds, it leads. Do you feel that it's necessary to be a contrarian? to get the clicks at this point? Uh, well, no, but I also think you need, you, you have to be honest in your coverage. So, uh, you know, like we've, I'm sure the team isn't thrilled in how often the athletic is writing about rebuilds and the proper way to tear a team down and, and, you know, the proper way to, to, to acquire elite talent because, you know, they're, externally it's the talk is about making the playoffs and trying to win now. So I don't think you need to be a contrarian, but I also think you have to be a realist about the situation. And even if you may not agree with what the kind of the message from the team is. And so um, the beauty of what we're doing is that we're not trying to get clicks. Like this isn't a page view driven operation. Like, um, you know, my, my previous shop was, this is a place the athletic is, you know, I don't need a million clicks on my story. I would rather have people buy subscriptions and then, you know, share it with their friends and say, Hey, look, this is some really smart coverage here. This is, I haven't read this elsewhere. And that, that to us is way more valuable than getting a lot of clicks. And you're not going to get subscriptions or you're not going to maintain it just by kind of throwing hot takes out there 
or being a contrarian. There has to be some thoughtfulness, some reporting, but also a very honest evaluation of what's happening with the teams you're covering. How many of your stories do you put out there essentially for free and then put behind the wall? Oh, very little free. Um, I would say the Henrik Zetterberg one was free, I think maybe for 24 hours, just because um, it was, you know, we, we did the uh, basically person of the year in each one of our markets. And so it was kind of a way to honor an athlete in each market. And so that was free. But I would say the ratio, I would say 90% of what we do is behind the paywall. So how many writers do you have right now? Um, so we've got in Detroit, we've got, I want to say there's seven full-timers. And then we have a, a pretty large stable of contributors, including we just um, signed up with, came to an agreement with Dan Orlowski to do Lions coverage. He's <laughs> famously uh, the former Lions quarterback. And Dan is Safety. really analytical mind. You know, great, great guy, but really like loves to break down film and did a great story for us last week on Matthew Stafford and his development. Um, and, he, you know, great sense of humor too. his joke on Twitter, like in his bio is that, that the uh, end zone should be a little bit bigger than they are. So yes. we, we like down for that. So, um, you know, so it's, it's a mix of full-time staffers and contributors like Dan and, but then we're also in Canada and us. And I don't know the latest number in terms of our staff size, but I mean, we're all, you know, Toronto, Chicago, and that's the beauty of it. You're paying their four bucks a month. You're getting San Francisco, Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. You're getting all of these different writers and then national writers like Seth Davis and college hoops and Ken Rosenthal on baseball and, you know, our hockey coverage. I mean, there's a million kind of prominent names in the hockey space. So, well, we are um, it's, a it's little a pretty big package. We are a little upset that you do not have a dedicated reporter on the Red Wing alumni team. I've got guys that are <laughs> well, still, <laughs> they're struggling. Well, you know, it, it, maybe that's next year. Maybe that's uh, 2.0 for the athletic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, Craig, I wanted to ask you, you know, I don't know if when this broke, but it just came over my little ticker here on my phone is that the Islanders are going back to Long Island and uh, they're leaving Brooklyn. Yeah. So I, 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 I guess to no one's surprise, because I think you were in the room yesterday or the day before I was talking to Jimmy about it, Jimmy Howard. And, mm-hmm. uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm name dropping big time. Now he, uh, he kind of indicated that he thought that they were going to leave Brooklyn, which he kind of did not like playing in, in that arena. Well, uh, not only did he not like playing there, the players with the Islanders didn't like it. And that's a, that's a real issue. And, and, and so I think to me, like this, this is really important news and there's probably a, a Red Wings tie-in too because I, I, with that announcement the chances that John Tavera sides with the Islanders I think goes up pretty dramatically right. I think John and talking to people that would know close to him I, I think John was, is really watching closely a couple of things whether or not he feels like he can win a Stanley Cup with the Islanders and where that team is going to be playing and if it looks like he's going to have uh, a nice shiny new arena that's that's way better than the situation in Brooklyn I think that helps the chances and and I know, you know, Red Wings fans looked at maybe him or that free agent class of 2019 among the defensemen as, as one solution to try to get, you know, great players back in Detroit. When you look at the, the, how realistically, because you've been all over the league and, you know, you, we both know Kevin Allen. I talked to Kevin and he says by far uh, Little Caesars Arena is the best. I mean, the arena itself, but the amenities and the concourse and it's great. How important is that when you're trying to attract a player? Can the arena draw them in or the bottom line is it comes down to 
the team and the players and their chance of winning a cup? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of players about this and along those lines with little Caesars, it, it's, it, the arena is like in the list of 10 things that may be 11, right? Like right. it's, it's going to come down to, to, does a guy feel like he can win? You know, what's the ownership situation? What, what's the city like? You know, what's, what kind of connection do they have there? How close is it to their home? What's, what's the money? And then it's like, Hey, you know, what about the arena? And in fact, one of the guys I asked was Ryan Suter, who, you know, as you guys know, was courted pretty heavily by the Red Wings a few years ago. And the Wild might have been the first team in. I forget now. It's been already a long season, but during the regular season. And I said, would you know, had this been the arena back when uh, the Red Wings were were trying to sign you, would would this have made the difference? And he's like, no, like he was actually liked Joe Louis Arena as as a player. You come in and had a lot of atmosphere to it. The ice was great. Like guys like that ice, com- right. you know, compared to what, what's happening compared now. To what's now yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so, and that's not to say it doesn't play a factor, but I, I'd beware anyone that's saying, Hey, this is going to be what lands free agents in Detroit. All right. With that, we know, uh, we appreciate your time, Craig. Um, want to remind everybody you can find Craig Custance book beyond the bench on Amazon as is, and wherever finer books are sold, of course. And you can also look for the Atlantic.com backslash Detroit. Right. Pick up, when you pick up Craig's book, pick up the Atlantic magazine mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then put, <laughs> did I say the Atlantic? <laughs> yes, you did. The Athletic, uh, the Atlantic magazine. I'm sure it's got some really thought provoking mm-hmm. articles for this month. And, and then while you're at it, just uh, go on the internet and subscribe to the Athletic. And with the athletic, yeah, I, I would, just I would encourage, yes, yeah. And Do right both. now, read the athletic. I'm sure it's good journalism. <laughs> right, it, it has to be only for Michigan Wolverine fans. <laughs> the athletic right now is also twenty percent off. So as you're through the holiday seasons, you can give it as a gift. Gift sub- subscription. That's a great idea. A subscription to all yeah. the Wolverine fans I, that you know. Yeah. And you can follow Craig Custance yep. on Twitter at Craig Custance. I think Craig might be a Spartan. I know that Craig is a Spartan, <laughs> which is why I keep dropping the Wolverine drops in there. <laughs> Craig, we really appreciate you having you on. We look forward to you sending out a reporter for the alumni team uh, within the next 12 months. And then, uh, you know, they can follow us. We play about 30 games a year and we travel throughout the country. You know so. what? I'll tell you something. There, there is a budding superstar in Craig's family. Uh, maybe one night, Craig, during the alumni game, you could uh, send your daughter out. You and your daughter could cover the alumni team. His daughter was in the she, room. She, she, for I don't, I think she's 10, 11 years old. I'm not even sure, but she was very thorough. I mean, I, I really got a kick out of it. it. It renewed my faith in journalism. Actually, we'll have to put her on Facebook yeah. Live. She's a future star in the world of journalism. She's got a good eye. She's like she catches my mistakes. She's like she likes to read and she looks for dad's mistakes and stories, which isn't really that hard. Let's be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Craig Custance from the Athletic. <laughs> the it's athletic. Michigan State Education, Craig. <laughs> I mean, <that's... laughs> Craig, thank you again. Hopefully, we'll talk to you again down the road. All right, good. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it. All right. So no we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back shortly. This is Thad Zot with Zot M59 Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and deals in a D.com. It's December and time for our big finish event of 2017. That's right, Thad. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, Jeff, then you better get fired up and show them the deals. Okay. <coughs> Check this out. Lease the new Ram 1500 Crew Cab for just $159 per month. Or this new Jeep Compass for only $129 per month. Plus, you get a big screen TV with every lease. 
The big finish of 2017 is now here at Zot. Plus, you get a $1,000 black card loaded with a 1000 in travel credit with every new lease or purchase. Wow, you were fired up. That voice was amazing. With Ram leases at $159 a month and Jeep leases at $129 a month, how can you not be excited for our big finish event of 2017? Don't forget, we'll also throw in a big screen TV with every new vehicle lease or purchase, as well as a $1,000 travel gift card. Deals at a D.com. Get there! 1000 down plus tax, title, state fee, and first payment based on FCA EP discount and all available rebates. 36 months, 10,000 miles per year. Did you know your company has an image problem? Seriously, right now, as customers are visiting your website, chances are your organization needs to look much better than it does. Standing out from the competition is important. Looking professional is critical. First impressions are everything. As a leader, no one knows this better than you do. You know you must look your very best. Well, the solution is United Photo Works. United Photo Works is a Detroit-based photography agency with the talent, experience, equipment, and knowledge to make your organization's visual image shine. From photos of your building's interior to its exterior, from capturing your corporate events to capturing those corporate headshots, the pros at UPW are here to make sure that you and your company look fantastic. Visit us at www.unitedphotoworks.com today and receive 20% off your next session. Remember, that's unitedphotoworks.com. You know, it's funny. We were just talking off air. That was Mariah Carey with All I Want for Christmas is You, which Jessica and I believe is one of the finest Christmas songs ever recorded, ever written. And I've got the Grinch over there saying it's not about the holiday. The holiday's more than about being laid, for God's sake. It's a great, it makes you think of Christmas now. Well, I guess so. Yeah, I guess, but my, someone said, what's your favorite Christmas song? And they thought I was joking. I said, angels we have heard on high, you know. Glory. Yeah, 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 yeah all that it. kind of stuff. I mean, I like that kind of stuff, but I like you know, if I had to pick like this kind of song, I would say that without question, like Holly Jolly Christmas is much better than this too. Oh, see, you're, you know, you're out you of your freaking I mean? mind. You know what I, I, I would say that. You want to take this outside? You know, no, I, no shit. But, <laughs> but then kidding. again, I think it's a great tune, but like George Michaels. Last Christmas. Last Christmas. And that's like, when. Yeah, my heart. Again. And the very next day. Uh, you, you gave it away, right. you know, this, this year. year. Yeah, hey, I hear it enough. Trust me. <laughs> I'll give it to someone special or whatever special. it is. <laughs> hey, it's, but you know what? That's why it's great to be an American because we can have this, this, this mm-hmm. conversation. At least we can now. Well, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what next year's going to be. Uh, who knows what next year? You know, it may be one, Christmas may be one of the seven. No. We no, never no have Christmas will always Christmas be. Will, yeah, because we can say Merry Christmas again. Uh, you know what? We're going to go south quickly. Kwanzaa, Ramadan. With, mm-hmm. Maybe even Hanukkah might be out the door. Now, that, that's quite possible if there's... A... <laughs> We're just teasing everyone. Eddie's not here, so we want to, you know... <laughs> well, you know, the great thing about Eddie is I tell everybody he's Canadian, and he can't vote, so he can say whatever he wants to say. <laughs> you know, but uh, just to finish up on that Christmas, my son and I were having a huge disagreement. My favorite Christmas album of all time is A Charlie Brown Christmas. Vincent oh, Giraldi, oh, you know, it, the trio. I, I have it out in my car it's on the thing and Andrew's like it's just the most boring but I hear that and I'm going to tell you I don't get a chubby or anything but I really enjoy it because it puts the whole Christmas atmosphere in my noggin in my head 
Right, and I guess the Mariah Carey song does the same thing. What, give you a chubby or puts Christmas in there? <laughs> what? It gives you, puts something in your noggin, I'm not sure. <laughs> so with that, you know, a great conversation with Craig Custance. You know, you were about to tell a story, though, with well, Chelios. Yeah, I do the Red Wing, you know, uh, you know uh, obviously I work for the Red Wings and uh, assistant editor for the uh, uh, DetroitRedWings.com, and I do the podcast, The Red and White Authority, and... I had one with Chelly last week, and he said that he he knew eventually in his career that he was going to get a coach that didn't like him and that he didn't really get along with, and it happened to be right at the end of his career, and it was Mike Babcock. I mean, Chelly's gone on about it, but he explained why. Chris Chelios, because he was Chris Chelios, was an offensively gifted thinking defenseman. And Mike Babcock is all about structure. So no matter what the play was, Mike Babcock would want Chris to go right, let's say. But Chris is thinking where the puck's going to go, and he would want to go left. So he tried to be the player that Babcock wanted him to be to fit inside Mike Babcock's structure because he's highly structured. Whereas Chelios and many great players are improvise you know they're thinking where's the puck they're thinking ahead of the instead of being over here they know it's going to go over there yeah where's the puck going to be right and that's why anticipation which made Wayne Gretzky the great one so that that was the difference he said you know now and obviously after years when they they've retired they think about it I mean he says you know I talk to Babs all the time we talk about our kids you know I mean they're friends but back then it was very much a you know, a, 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 and let's face it. I mean, Shelley's as stubborn as they get, and so is Mike. So, you know, it just they, they kind of clash that way. You know, and to this day, you know, with the different golf outings and everything, and you know, not specifically mentioning names, but it, it's really hard to get positive words from former players of Mike Babcock to say positive things about Mike Babcock. Yeah, I well, you know, because I guess in I think Craig put hit it. You know, even his assistants, he's demanding. You know, and, and that's what Chelly was. He has a system. You're gonna do it. You know, it's the old my way or the highway thing. Uh, you're doing it my way, or if you're not, boom. You know, you're not gonna play. You know, I control the ice time. You know, and I think that's the advantage that we have, you and I, and we're in the locker room or on the bus or. Uh, I'm sorry, the limos that we drive to the different games to hear about some of these coaches that these guys have played for, you know, the Keenan stories, you know, slats, um, you know, just some of these. um, And, you know, it was funny. I didn't hear anything positive about Keenan, right, with the exception of Joe Koser, who was like loved playing for. And I was like, weren't you a game seven scratch? (laughs) Well, Shelly obviously played with Keenan a lot too. Right. And Chicago. Right. In Chicago. So he has, you know, Mike Keenan has all the answers. That is what he said about him. You know, that he has all the answers. Scotty Bowman does have all the answers. You know, that's, that's the difference between them. One thinks he has all the answers and is going to tell you about it. And he like, you know, he kind of like Keenan too. You know, I mean, the podcast is still up. I mean, they don't go anywhere. So it's a couple ago. Uh, actually, the current one up there is the Red Wings reciting as a team the night before Christmas. How many could speak it in English? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. What, oh, there's more English player. There's, there's more only one Amer- player that declined to read a line 
uh, and that was Peter Morazak because he has he was not comfortable doing it in English. But I'll give you Thomas Tatar starts it off, you know, night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Of course, in his broken accent, and you know, and I've said this before, you know, my 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 mother is Greek. Her parents immigrated from Greece. Half of my family growing up spoke with an accent and broken English my whole life, you know. So I'm I'm not trying to, you know, disparage anybody here, but he says, you know, uh Night before the Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was steering, not even the mouse, you know, but it makes it fun, you know, and then Ferk, who is the next one up, you know, stockings, they were hung by chimney and hoped that uh, St. Nicholas would be there. But it's, you know, but it makes it and it's the whole team, everybody on the team, plus Mickey Redman, uh, Ken Daniels, Paul Woods and Ken Cal. They're all they also got a line. And uh, so it, it, it's it, it was what good. was Mickey's line? Mickey. Mickey actually threw him. Mickey's was, uh, and he said it with a little bit of an Irish uh, accent. It was like, uh, he's something, uh, you know, he was a jolly old elf and I laughed in spite of myself. It's, it's, it's that line there, but it's a little bit more to it. So it turned out really, really well. It's, you know, that's up on the website too. But, uh, uh, but, you know, but again, uh, you know, talking about different coaches and the way they are and motivating them. Uh, you know, certainly, and I thought your question was great. When did they know that it was time, uh, to hang it up, you know, to move on to a different, right. You know, because it's the old, like Lou Holtz thing, you know, if if you're there 10 years, you've had a good run, right? (laughs) You know, you really have. And you know, Chuck Daly, you know, God rest his soul. What a great coach he was. You know, he knew after a while, five, six years. No, no, he got pushed out. Come on. Let's let's the five or six years, maybe at New York or Orlando in Detroit. He got pushed. out. Well, right. He, he did get pushed out, but I can remember talking. I talked to him every week, uh, you know, on the air. Then I got to be pretty good friends with him and he knew that there was a shelf life. You're probably right. I think the whole piston thing was kind of weird though. At the end, I, I, they didn't know, they didn't know how to tear that team up or how to rebuild or, you know, that, that was really, you know, they take a, they took a great team, a championship level team, and it just kind of meandered out. You know, it was kind of weird. Well, you say meander, but it's funny how many of those former pistons went on to the bulls and the Lakers and won more championships. Well, you know, I mean, the guys, you know, you're talking about Dennis, Ro- Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Dennis right. Rodman. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the core guys like Zeke and Joe and Lambeer, even though like Robin, yeah, I'm glad they retired Robin's number. I mean, he was phenomenal. Oh, they had, you know what? Yeah. There's no question about, but that. he was younger than those guys too. Yeah. He and Sally, you know, they were rookies together. So, right. So with that, while we're ending talking about basketball, right. But, go um, wings. Well, go wings. Yes. <laughs> um, so on art, want to wish you a happy Happy New Year. Same um, to you, Newman. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Course. Happy, New happy Year holidays Jessica to everybody. Jessica as well. Oh, of course. Merry Jessica. Christmas. Happy New Year to you guys, too. Yeah. Been a great year. So next time we talk to you, it's going to be the 3rd of January as we start going into the January schedule. We've got four games in January. Um, one of those is even outdoors in Detroit at Clark Park. Oh, so we'll fun. talk about those. We're going to start off on the road in Ohio. Um, oh, you know, bullshit go. So with that, um, <laughs> thanks everybody to, uh, for tuning in and we'll see you in 2018.